the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs editor Eno Saris. And today we'll be discussing head-to-head league strategy and streamer options to ensure you win your head-to-head playoffs. But first, you wanted to talk about Yahoo, because I don't use Yahoo for... I'm not in any Yahoo Fantasy Leagues this year. I never use their scoreboard. But I read that they changed up the whole layout and the format... And out of curiosity, I went there, and oh my god, what a disaster. It seems like it's the perfect example of don't fix what ain't broken. What was your reaction? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been a loyal uh, Yahoo box score user for, the, for a really long time. Um, and I knew that it didn't look that nice because that was a part of the reason I liked it, you know, like... You, it was white. It was black on white, and it was just like if you were in the box scores, you could go from one box score to the next box score to the next box score. So it was like you just could go straight through the box scores really easily. It had all the box score information. It was very, very easy to use. And if you clicked on a player name, you could get their game logs for you know every season. So you could look at different game logs. You could look at their splits. Everything followed so you could like follow yourself like follow a rat like if you were like oh check this guy out and oh 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 oh, look at his splits look at this look at this you know whereas now everything's like trying to be on the same page so uh and they've lost the ability to go to old game logs and old splits and i don't even know where the splits are anymore and if you are trying to look at a box score you have to try and find, it's like really hard to find the other scores to go to a new box score and it'll probably send you to someplace other than the box score first. So there's all this stuff. They try to make it like glitzy and, and like you said, like, you know, they tried, you know, they try to fix something that wasn't broken. It's a way, good way of putting it. But now it's like really hard to navigate and I, I can't use it anymore. And also another problem is just readability. They have background now. Who has a background on a website? I mean, yeah, Fangraphs is kind of like a, a bland yellowish, but it's still perfectly readable. Yahoo now has like pictures and it makes it very difficult to read. And I don't know who they hired for a designer, but he probably should be looking for a new job because I can't imagine that this is somebody that they're going to want to keep on their staff. I, I, I got to assume that they've got a lot of criticism after this big redesign because it's awful and and nobody has a background on websites readability is key especially when you're reading box scores yeah i mean and and the 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 whole idea that they would have to glitz and glamour up something that um like like a player page or a box score is i think really um not well thought out because the the people that are using those are not are not using them as home pages or, or, you know, in some way a visually pleasing experience. People that use box scores want information from the box score. They want to look at something 
read it. They want it to look the same way it has looked for them forever. And they want to be able to take away who hit a home run, who stole a base, who walked, who didn't, ground balls, fly balls, boom. You know, that's, that's, that's what I do when I look at a box score. I, I look for um, outstanding events. Um, I look for lineup ch- order changes. Uh, I look for ground ball, fly ball in the, in the pitcher column and strikeouts and walks for the pitcher. So, you know, those things are so much easy, so easy to find if you can find a place where you just look at a box score for one game, click on the next thing, box score, box score, box score, box score, done. You know, I, I'm, you know, so now I'm left trying to figure out what to do. And I've gone through a couple of the different um, providers out there. And I, I'm sort of settling on MLB.com. Um, I have to click on a box score. When I click out of a box score to another box score, it actually sends me to the recap. And then I have to click again to get the box score. So that's not ideal. But at least it sets up a box score like I'm used to seeing it. Um, and it has all the information I need. And it has it all in one place. Another thing about MLB.com that's annoying is they actually uh, have, take a lot, they have a lot of juice. It takes a lot of like computer juice. And- like, I don't know what they have running behind it, but it's like, my computer slows down sometimes. And like uh, sometimes I have to totally close out Safari, which is like my MLB.com browser now, uh, because it just takes up too much. So I, I I was wondering what you do for box scores. Well, lucky for you, I have your solution. I have basically from the beginning of my box score reading have always used CBS Sports. I like their live scoreboard the best. They always highlight the games where there's a runner in scoring position or there was a, a, a recent scoring play. I like their their overall scoreboard that shows all the games. I like their game cast when you're in one game. It's just very easy and simple. Everything is in one place. And, and then when the game's over, it does bring you to the recap. However, on the side is also the box score. It's not as easy to read as if you click the box score after going into the recap, but at least if you don't want to make the extra click, you don't necessarily need to. So I've always used Sportsline, and I will always recommend that as superior to even MLB.com. That's interesting. I guess um, you know I have a problem with the, the the fantasy product at CBS. Sometimes it's you know I don't I don't really like uh, their their fantasy products. A lot of their um, you know you have to pay for a lot of the the things that you normally get for free on other fantasy platforms. Um, there's some readability issues with the with the fantasy game. But uh, that's why you know I, I haven't necessarily thought of CBS. Uh, I don't think I've really given it a, a good go. So uh, maybe this week I'll, I'll try CBS. Good idea, and let us know if I have officially converted you because I do get a commission for every conversion I make. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I also wanted to talk about Dave Cameron's article this morning, and this is I love Dave, and this is a perfect example of why. And I'm not trying to kiss up here. I mean, this is a perfect example of why Cameron is awesome. And I'm sure you read the article. It was called A Question About Value in a Losing Effort. And just to sum it up, he basically says for all of those people who look at when voting for MVP, the candidate's team performance, for example, they're not going to vote for Mike Trout because he's on a losing team. Miguel Cabrera's team is leading the division. So people are going to automatically ignore Trout's contributions and focus on Cabrera because he's on a winning team. Well, for those people who do that, then why stop there? Why not also only value a player's contribution during his team's wins? And uh, I thought that was super clever and brilliant. 
And it was sarcastic because obviously he's not going to do that, and that's not the right way to go about it. But, hey, if you're going to look at the, the season wins, why stop there? Why not take it a bit further? Why not make your analysis consistent and also only value a player's contribution during his team's wins? And yeah, I, I thought that the piece was great. I, you know, two things. One thing is I wish that it uh, had turned out that Chris Davis uh, slid ahead of Miguel Cabrera just for fun. <laughs> or Mike Trout, even. Yeah, right. But uh, the, Trout has fewer wins um, to deal with. Uh, and then um, uh, the, the second is I'm interested in, in how you thought this was uh, fantasy relevant. Yeah, okay. So back in the day, it was about let's say six years ago, it may have been five, I don't remember, when I first started my fantasy baseball writing career. And uh, I was reading a blog called The Fantasy Baseball Generals by Patrick DiCaprio. I wrote him an email uh, because I finally decided that I, I wanted to write for a fantasy site. And I think in my initial post, basically introducing myself, what I said was I wanted to be a writer because I always see inconsistency in fantasy analysis, and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be consistent. If I always reference a pitcher, Sierra, well, back then Sierra didn't exist. Maybe it was FIP or XFIP, probably XFIP. If I always reference a pitcher's XFIP, I'm going to do that consistently. I'm not going to ignore BABIP, like a 250 BABIP with one pitcher, but then reference a pitcher's 330 BABIP for somebody else. I'm going to be extremely consistent and always reference BABIP. And I never saw that type of consistency in fantasy analysis. And so that's what it reminded me of because this is basically what got me into writing about fantasy is that the analysis I had always read was just inconsistent. And I, I felt like that was just flawed analysis and it wasn't helping fantasy owners. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, there's so many things out there that can lead you down a rabbit hole uh, to to – to get too into one thing for one player and then just to sort of ignore it for another player, is, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, and then there was another reason I wanted to bring up the article because I, I love our commenters. They are hilarious, and I bet a lot of them could be really good not-graphs posters because they're funny and a lot funnier and more clever than I am, which is why I don't post on not-graphs. But one of them that I wanted to just mention because I, I laughed out loud so one commenter mentioned that he believes that no one aggregates player splits just for games their team won. This was interesting because the article very early on said that Baseball Reference does exactly that. So, of course, he got a response to that comment saying, um, did you stop reading after the first paragraph? <laughs> <laughs> and the commenter comes back saying, I suppose I did. And negatively voted myself accordingly. <laughs> His original comment got a minus six, and then the fact that he negative voted himself, he got a plus fifteen for that. Good <laughs> uh, old commenters. I, it is kind of a funny thing that someone would read it, like a lead or, or, or a couple sentences and just immediately rush to the comment section. <laughs> well, it happens a lot. I mean, I'll, I'll see comments on my articles and I, I wonder, I'm like, are you sure you read what I wrote? Because I definitely discussed what you're referring to here and you must have not read it very carefully or just kind of skipped to the bottom. 
Yeah, that's true. I, on my Garrett Cole piece, I talked about how he's throwing the, the, the slider more and getting more strikeouts. And and uh, someone at the end was like, but he's throwing the slider more and getting more strikeouts. That's worth noting. And I'm like, yes, I noted it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to do something a little different here because that took up a ton of time. So we're going to get to the most interesting player alive today at the end if we have time because I, I want to talk about head-to-head league strategy. So do you think there are any strategy changes between the regular season and the playoffs in these types of leagues? I, I do, actually. And the biggest thing for me is that you know, the, 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 when you look at a season and you're, you're in season, you're, you look at the season from a whole, you, you see that there are always players that are, that are worth keeping on your bench or, you know, that you worth sort of keeping around because of upside. So think of like a Brett Lowry guy where he's on your DL, he's sucking, but you know that he has these skills and you know he has some power, you know he has some speed, you know, you know he could be useful to you. Um, and so therefore you keep him on your bench and you keep him in the DL slot and you keep him around because you're just waiting for him to sort of show what he, what he can do. Um, that totally makes sense during the season, but I think that once you get to the postseason, I'm going to argue that it doesn't make sense to, to wait on those guys anymore, especially since now we have five months, um, of, of data points and, you know, it may not happen this year. There are lost seasons and, and guys, you know, who will be good next year won't necessarily be good this next month, um, you know, for whatever reason, if it's an adjustment they need to make in the offseason or blah, blah, blah. But the point is that I, I would say that the, the final sort of three to four roster slots on your, on your team, the, fin- the worst three to four players on your team are now cuttable. They're now totally, you can totally jettison them. They are, they, they are not, you don't want to hold them anymore for usefulness. You know, the, the worst four players on your team, they can go right now and they should probably go for streaming options they should probably go for people that are in the best possible position hitters in coors hitters in texas um you know base dealers against bad base dealing uh, teams uh and, and then mostly uh starting pitchers in great matchups that's an interesting one that i didn't think of and i have another one i i think i've played in a head-to-head baseball league once in my entire life and i'm like this is not for me and so i stopped but in a head-to-head league, basically, you you know, during the season, you want to win as many categories as you can and be a pretty balanced team. However, in the playoffs, all you're worried about is winning one week. You can win 6-4, and that's just as good as winning 10 to nothing. So I think maybe a good strategy is to kind of dump categories, only focus on a select few, ensure that you dominate those, and just win 6-4. to four. Maybe that even means getting rid of all your starting pitchers, as long as your mini, uh, minimum innings for the week is low enough, go with all relievers and closers, guarantee yourself ERA, whip, and saves. That's already three wins, and that means you only have to win three of the hitting categories. Maybe you go for all speed guys. You win stolen bases, runs, and perhaps batting average. And there you go. You can drop all of your power guys, and just pick up all speed guys that you reference in your speed streamers. Pick up Rajai Davis, Billy Hamilton, uh, Ichiro, and and you've almost locked yourself into six points for the win. Yeah, I think that's also a good point because it does make sense. It's it's a, it's almost like a, a it's almost like a sister point or a brother point to to the one I made in, in that 
you you try all season to win every like you're saying you try to win all, all the categories all season you try to have a balanced team and but you now also have five five months of data on your own team not only on the players so you can look at your own team and say hey you know what I've been losing this category a lot and if I just drop like let's say you went cheap on closers and all year you've been sort of trying to find closers and you you finally cobbled together two closers you have Josh Fields and 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 Kevin Gregg or something, and you're just looking at those guys and you're like, you know, those guys are killing my my whip. My, they're not helping me in ERA and whip and and my ratios necessarily. They're not getting a ton of saves. And in this week, I might get one save from the two of them. And yes, it made sense for me to try and and win some saves over the course of the season. Uh, but now it doesn't really make sense for me to keep those guys around. Yeah. So, you could easily drop those guys for starters. Right. And in, in that situation, maybe you go the reverse. You guarantee yourself wins and strikeouts and that hope between ERA and whip, you'll win at least one of those. Yeah. In that case, I would probably just try to be really conservative, actually, about the the matchups you take. Instead of going for you know two starters or every every starting pitching matchup you want, you need to be competitive in ERA or whip. So you actually need to pick the best uh, streaming options and only only the ones that are just sort of, you know, the the, the five-star streaming options as opposed to, you know, uh, I guess Carlos Torres. I, 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 I tried Carlos Torres, I thought, at home against Washington. That's not necessarily a five-star streaming matchup, but that didn't work out for me. Oops. So speaking of pitching streamers, are you actually a fan of the strategy? And let's talk about weekly head-to-head leagues, and also weekly roto... Well, it wouldn't be weekly roto leagues, but it would be daily transaction roto leagues. So in both formats, are you a fan of pitcher streaming? Well, I'm actually having to stream in a couple of roto leagues just because I, I fell behind in innings. Uh, and it's a little bit hard because the, the bigger your your uh, rosters are and the deeper your league, the worse the, the pitchers are you're looking at. So I would actually say that it's very dependent on the size of your league. Size of your league. I don't think that um, streaming in a ten team is 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 easy. I would say, and probably a great idea, uh, because you're you're looking at you're looking at number two, number three starters in real life, and you take a number three starter um, from Texas and put him in Seattle. You're, you're talking about Martin Perez against Seattle. That sounds great. You know, I'll take that. Um, you know, I, that was just that just came to mind. But you know, in general, that idea that you're looking at two and three starters as opposed to in a deep league, you're looking at, you know, spot starters for their major league teams. You're looking at relievers that are getting going to get a start or or a guy they called up in the minors that has no pedigree, you know, that, you know, that has no no reason to succeed. So, um, you know, I think that it definitely depends on the size of your league. But uh, I do think that pitching matchup is almost it's, I think it's more important than hitting matchup even. I mean, in terms of like um, you know the data that we have, we know a lot about how parks play, so we know a lot about how a park can can help or hurt a pitcher. Whereas we don't know a lot about pitcher 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 hitting matchups, so you can't say, "Oh, this guy's three for ten against him. He's really great. You should play him." Yeah, and you actually made a good point that we don't talk about the importance of it enough, and that's context. Context is so freaking important. And that's why I'm always asking for all league details because we know that 
the comments in our articles, we always get questions about trades. Should I pick this guy up? Should I drop this guy? And the majority of the time, there's no league context. And I always ask for all the league details because I can't give a good answer unless I know the size of your league, the player population. Is it a mixed league? Is it an only league? Uh, what your roster, your starting roster spots are, who you have on your team already, where you are in the categories. There's so much information that's important to answer these questions accurately. And the same thing is whether it's a good idea to stream pitchers. I think right now it really is dependent upon where you sit in ERA and whip, wins and strikeouts. I mean, for the most part, I'm usually against the strategy. The guys that you're considering are on free agency for a reason. There are risks to your ERA and whip. They're probably not on good offenses, and so their win potential isn't that high. And they're probably not great in the strikeout category. So you usually stream because you need wins and strikeouts. But if those two categories aren't going to be that great from those guys, then you're offsetting that low potential with great risk to your ERA and whip. So for the most part, I don't like it, but I do admit that there is a time and a place for this strategy. Now, how much weight do you actually place on recent performance versus a pitcher's entire body of work? And for an example, there was a comment in my article this morning asking about Lance Lynn, who has not been good the last couple of months with ERAs nearing five. So do you place a lot of weight and say, I ain't starting Lance Lynn, or do you still willing to give him a go in a good matchup? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't put a lot of stock just in, in recent results. Um, it, it would have to come with something. I would have to see in, in the easiest places I would look are, are velocity. I, I'd look for a decline in velocity. Um, I would look for a big change in pitching mix. Um, <laughs> That's funny because when I was thinking of this question, those are the exact two changes that I was going to say I would look for. I mean, unless there's a change in pitch mix or velocity – or some clear explanation for a change in recent performance, then you you got to uh, give it little predictive value. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, there's so many things that can happen. But uh, Lynn is just, a, you know, is a great pitcher um, in terms of he gets you enough strikeouts and he gets a lot of ground balls and he pitches in a, in a pitcher's park. So... Especially if he was home, I would have I would have no doubts about about starting him. The other question is how you balance the quality of the pitcher versus the quality of an opponent. And the example here is actually in tonight's start. Zach McAllister, he's at home facing the Royals and Jeremy Guthrie. That's a fantastic matchup, but I'm not really a fan of Zach McAllister. So how do you balance those two when deciding whether he's worthy of streaming? Yeah, I passed on that one myself in a uh, 14-teamer where it's this roto that I'm actually trying to get innings back. Um, and, you know, just to show that in another way, uh, I've got – I'm looking now at Nicasio um, in San Francisco um, uh, tomorrow. And I'm, I'm struggling with both of them. I, with McAllister, I just thought, you know – I'm not saying that Kansas City has been great recently on offense, but I would say that if you looked at the seasonal numbers for Kansas City's offense, you might miss some of their difference. And I think for a team, for an offense, it's a little different than saying Lynn, Lynn has been bad the last four times out. 
you know, to say the Kansas City Royals have been a better offense over the last three months, that's a bigger sample. That's a lot of plate appearances. Um, it's a lot of players, so it might not be meaningful because, you know, a couple players could be pushing that. But um, I would say that I don't think that Kansas City, and it's also an American League team with a DH, so I, don't, I wouldn't say that that matchup is super cake. Um, and the pitcher is, uh, is also not something that I would want to rely on. So Nicasio is probably uh, an iffier pitcher than McAllister, I guess you could say, even though he has some skills that are better than McAllister. But he's at San Francisco, which is um, going to be cold, and we know the temperature uh, suppresses power. And San Francisco itself is a big park, and San Francisco's lineup is, is not good right now. So, uh, you know, that's a much better matchup. If you had me McAllister in San Francisco, boom, that's one I would take. All right, there was another streaming option that continues to boggle my mind. Scott Casimir, how the heck does his ownership on CBS remain below 50%? I'm pretty sure that the Indians have a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way. He's facing Casey on Wednesday, who we just established isn't as bad as their seasonal line just because Eric Hosmer has been much better since earlier in the season. And uh, Mike Moustakis isn't a, a complete zero anymore. But I think Scott Casimir makes for an excellent streaming candidate on Wednesday. And he should certainly be owned in a lot more than 50% of leagues. I mean, is it just a case of people still don't want to believe and they still have the bad taste in their mouth when Casimir had been bad all those years previously, and they can't wrap their head around the fact that, wow, Scott Casimir is back. Yeah, I mean, also, he is a guy that has pretty much for his whole career, even when he was good, had homer problems. So he's a a fly ball strikeout guy, um, and, you know, I don't necessarily – I mean, I know that his home run per fly ball rate at 12% is a little bit high in that we should be calling him unlucky with regards to homers. But I'm not comfortable, you know, really regressing that all the way to 10%. So um, I would say that he's a homer risk still. He's uh, in the American League. Um, so I'm not sure that he's he deserves much better numbers. I think that he's about a 4 ERA guy and about a 1.3 whip guy. Um, so that isn't the sexiest combination, but you do, you're right. The velocity is back. He gets a a strikeout per inning. Um, and in good matchups, he can probably be expected to be a little bit better than a four ERA guy. So, um, yeah, I would definitely, if if you're looking at Casimir versus Kansas city, that's as a stream option, that's a great one. That's, that's close to five star. I mean, might be four star. I don't know who, who's better out there on the wire, but that's a really good, uh, streaming option. And here's another potentially good streaming option, and that's on Thursday, Tanner Rourke at City Field and the New York Mets. This is only going to be a second career Major League start. He has a sub-1 ERA over 28 innings. That's crazy. How good – is he a five-star option as well? I don't know about him. I mean – the 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 strikeout rate uh, is is and the swinging strike rate is not great, um, and so he's he's definitely the kind of guy that makes his living as a ground ball pitcher, um, and I'm assuming that um, you know our our system calls it a four seam, but he must live either down in the zone, uh, he doesn't have any pedigree, so 
you know, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather I'd heard a lot of excitement about him. But, you know, 28 innings, it's really hard to say anything other than he throws 93 uh, and about half his contacts on the ground. So at least you're not, you know, super at risk of a four or five home run uh, game. I mean, he's a better uh, stream than Torres, Carlos Torres, who I was talking about earlier, gave up four home runs. He's a fly ball guy, and that's the sort of thing that can happen. So uh, I think he's a decent one. I think I would rather have Casimir. Yeah, that, and that's exactly getting back to the, the Zach McAllister issue, is that how do you basically balance the two? Because I like Casimir as a pitcher better, but Rourke has the better opponent. So then how do you determine between the two? And Rourke is an oddity because he has an you know an acceptable strikeout rate, but that swinging strike percentage is frighteningly low. And I'm looking at his baseball reference page. He's getting an absolute ton, like league-leading rate of looking strikes. And so I thought, okay, well, let me look at his pitch mix and see maybe where those could be coming from. But he's been basically a fastball slider guy. He also throws a curve and a change. But the slider, swing and miss pitch. Change up, swing and miss pitch. Only the curveball is really a looking strike pitch. So it's kind of strange where all those looking strikes are coming from. Maybe he's just placing his fastball exactly where he needs to be, kind of Shelby Miller-like, and that's where he's getting all those looking strikes from. Yeah, it's a weird one. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm uncomfortable saying too much more without having watched a start, but I do know that, you know, if you if you hear a guy come out of nowhere, the the the, the sort of the uh, threshold for believability is a little bit higher for me, just because I you know I don't I'm not you know in love with scouts, but they usually find the best players. So if if there's if there's a guy who come out of nowhere, then you know I I tend I have the tendency to think well you know the first 50 innings might just be whoa this guy has a funky curveball you know and I'm just gonna watch that one go by. Uh, and then after a while, they'll decide, you know, oh, I can hit that thing. All right, let's wrap it up with the pitching streamers. Did you have any other names that I did not mention or perhaps an option for Saturday? Because in the article I published this morning, I could not find anybody. Yeah, they don't really have a lot of the uh, the, the probables up yet. Um, I did notice that, uh, that uh, with Taiwan Walker, uh, being his season being done, and that was what we talked about, whether or not it'd be, it'd be smart to pick him up, and, and, and uh, it turned I, out. I actually, huh? I, I actually picked him up in labor, and so his last two starts I actually got. I picked him up for the minimum bid. I was surprised nobody else bid. But, I mean, other than the fact he didn't win, he was decent enough to give me value for my buck, so I was happy. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, at this point, if you have – if you have FAB dollars left, then you know two starts is probably worth a dollar. So, um, you know, I, I if we told people not to to pick him up, uh, it was only because we knew that he only had three starts in him. So, uh, anyway, the, in his, his wake is left uh, James Paxton, who's starting Saturday, um, and there are, are are very many reasons not to like James Paxton. Um, you know, he his control sort of left him. Um, he had some velocity issues this year, um, and, uh, early this year, and, and it looked like he was broken and, and done. Uh, but, uh, now he's throwing 95. Um, his, uh, walk rate got closer to league average in AAA this year, and most importantly, he's home. 
on Saturday. No, so. he's actually in St. Louis. Oh, he's in St. Louis, and it's a National League Park. So I, I said I put in my head that the matchup. I think that's a pretty decent matchup. I know St. Louis is a decent hitting team, but it's a pitcher's park, um, and it's a National League lineup, so he doesn't even have the DH. So um, I actually like him for that matchup. Yeah, I, I think he's one of those guys who could be worthwhile as a streaming option. I don't know. I mean, obviously there's some positives. Good park facing the pitcher. But the Cardinals have a freaking good lineup. So, And, and they're also facing Michael Waka. So uh, he's probably due for a blow-up. But, I mean, Michael Waka is at least decent. So uh, a win is no guarantee. But, yeah, I mean, he's a, a reasonable high upside. But there is some risk kind of guy if you, if you need somebody. All right, let's move along to some speed streamers. And you mentioned a whole lot of names in your article yesterday. So why don't we talk about – let's talk about Rajai Davis because I actually own him in my 12-team mixed league. And he's very frustrating because he's not starting against every right-handed pitcher. And it's not a surprise because he has a 287 career Woba versus them, only 254 this year. So it seems like he's somebody basically only in daily transactions leagues when you have a chance to see if he's in the lineup. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was a, a problem I had with a lot of these guys is that they're platoon guys, and Rajai Davis against left-handers is, is more, that's a hard one. Um, you know, on the same team, Anthony Goes has, has speed, but, uh, you know, he's having a hard time making contact. You know, you can say the same with Jonathan Bilar. Um, you, know, I, you know, who do I like, who do I like that, that, that is like, that you could actually play every day and, and in a mixed league? Um, I don't know. I think maybe Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, could get up there, especially in, on base percentage leagues. Um, and, um, you know, if Brett Gardner's not out there, that's sort of a really shallow league. Uh, Ichiro's out there in a lot of leagues. And Ichiro is, is facing some bad catchers. So um, I think he's an interesting one. And I, actually, I think Brian Dozier has had a good season this year. Yeah, he has. I think he's shown a lot more power than people expected, and he, he now has a nice power-speed mixture, and although his batting average isn't great, it's not a killer at the middle infield position. Yeah, I really want to figure out why he's now almost up to 1,000 plate appearances and has uh, a BABIP of 270 or 280. I feel like, you know, there's there's no real—I don't see a real reason for it. Um, and, you know, his strikeout rate's not bad either, so— Here's a guy with power and speed who doesn't have a crazy bad ball mix um, who, for some reason, can't put up a regular uh, batting average on balls in play. So I think Brian Dozier needs a little bit of a, a deep workout, but uh, he's definitely someone I'd like. And, and for deep leaguers, you know, someone who might start playing every day, um, you know, Bradley might still be out there for a day. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe Ryan Goings. Goings? In, uh, in, in, in Toronto, he looks like he's playing a lot at second base for them. So he doesn't have a ton of speed. But, you know, when you're in the deep league, you're just hoping that, you know, they'll play a little bit. Yeah, back to Brian Dozier and his BABIP issues. Now, his mix probably suggests higher than his career 272. But I wouldn't say that much higher because his career pop-up rate, nearly 14%, way above the league average. And he hits more fly balls than ground balls. And we know fly balls don't go for hits as often as ground balls, which don't go for hits as often as line drives. And pop-ups are automatic outs. So his batted ball distribution really isn't that great. I mean, his only saving grace is that he's hit line drives at an above-league average clip. But I would venture to guess, if you threw in all the 
components into Zimmerman and slash 12, whatever the number in slash's name is, in that XBABIP calculator, it probably would come out to around 290 to 300. So I don't think he has that much upside, but I do agree he looks more like a 260 or so hitter than a 245-ish hitter. Yeah, and I also I wonder what this means for him going forward. I mean, his batted ball mix changed a little bit from last year to this year. Uh, it's a little bit more power-friendly this year, and that's might have something to do with why um, he took a leap, leap forward in power. Um, but uh, the infield fly ball rate was bad both years, and it's kind of the Manny Machado problem. And there's a lot of people betting that Manny Machado is going to get past that problem. Um, and there's not as many people betting that Brian Dozier is going to get past that problem. But um, they have the similar problem is the pop-up problem. Um, and, uh, you know, who's to say that one's going to figure out and one isn't? All right, I want to quickly get back to Anthony Ghost and Jonathan VR again, and then we can talk about some power streamers. Because these two are in a very similar boat in that they're one major flaw away from really being intriguing fantasy talents, and that is that they strike out way too often for hitters that don't have a whole lot of power. But the thing is, they're not zeros in power, so over a full season, they could be 10 home run guys with a ton of speed. Um, Ghost has more speed than VR. I mean, Ghost has stolen like 70 bases in the minor leagues. So if these guys didn't uh, strike out as often as they do, then they could be, you know, neutral in batting average and have really intriguing power-speed combinations. But those strikeouts mean that they might not even have full-time jobs ever. Yeah, it's kind of weird that um, right now Ghost is, is showing an okay swing strike rate and strikeout rate. Of course, it's a tiny sample. Um, and he was the 20% in AAA, 27% in AAA, which is actually worse than VR. Um, but, um, you know, if anyone's looking at VR's 272 batting average and thinking that uh, he can do something like that, they need to slide their eyes on over to the batting average on balls in play because uh, he's over 400. Um, so, yeah, both of them, you know, the way it is right now, both of them are really uh, not locks to be major leaguers. I mean, it, it, it's like, you know, Chris Davis, they let Chris Davis swing away for a while because he had the power upside that he does. But none of these guys has the power upside of Chris Davis. So they're really not going to let them strike out that much. Um, and they're not going to let him do a Chris Carter type thing either. So, you know, these guys are, you know, I think, I think that what they're doing, what Houston's doing with VR is that they brought him up and they're saying, hey, this is it. This is your chance. We're going to give you a year and a half. And uh, if it doesn't work out, uh, Korea's coming up right behind you. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to strike out 25 to 30% of the time, you got to show power. I mean, any of the guys that you think of that are high strikeout guys, Chris Carter, Adam Dunn, Mark Reynolds, these are all guys that have a whole lot of power. Giancarlo Stanton. They all have a ton of power, and they can get by with strikeout rates that high. If you have a strikeout rate that high and not that type of power, you're just not going to be a major league hitter. And speaking of power, let's talk about some power streamers before we wrap things up. So throw out some names from your article so we can begin our discussion. Well, one thing I was surprised about, I mean, obviously um – you know, Texas is, is hot in terms of temperature, and, um, and, uh, but they're only, they're only uh, I mean, they're home for, for two uh, starts against Pittsburgh and Oakland. So, of course, 
you know, anybody on the Rangers is a good play. But the problem is that everybody knows that. Um, and, you know, you know, you're probably looking at David Murphy or Mitch Moreland right now, um, which I think actually are, are decent plays as long as you hide them against lefties. You know, so I, I like them. Um, and, um, you know, the deep league play for me there was Jeff Baker because you know he's going to hit against a lefty. So if you can just put him in there when they're, when they're facing a lefty, then you're good. And then the, the one that was surprising to me was that uh, Baltimore was the second hottest um, uh, park uh, last night. So um, they don't, they're only, uh, they have three games left with the Yankees, including today. Um, but they have a lot of fringe guys like Morse and McLeod and maybe Roberts and Valencia uh, that you could, you could slot in if you knew they were playing that day. Um, so. But uh, I think the, the, the other one that was, that's, uh, that, that's going to help a lot is the White Sox are home. Everyone knows the White Sox park. It's actually pretty warm there, too. So you can uh, take your old, pick up old guys with Konerko or Swisher or, or get the guys like Vicieto and Dirks, the, the platoon guys. But, you, you know, the deeper leagues, you have to be aware of your platoon splits on your guys, and you really have to be in a daily league so you can make sure you can play them. Hey, let's talk about Jeff Baker because he's a guy – who is the perfect example of knowing the splits. If you're in a daily transaction league, get him in your lineup against a lefty. If you just looked at his overall seasonal line, you're just going to skip over his name. Jeff Baker has 10 home runs and 87 at-bats versus lefties for a 4-14 ISO and a 37% home run per fly ball ratio. That's insane. <laughs> He's a... 210 WRC plus against lefties this year. <laughs> that is ridiculous. I mean, and a 35 against righties. Wow. Yeah, obviously that's not sustainable, but the point is is that he's Babe Ruth against lefties. And so that's got to have some predictive value. So definitely get him in your lineup if you have daily transactions and some rotating utility or outfield slot. Michael Morse. I think that was an under-the-radar move. He gets out of Safeco Field. Obviously, not as much of a pitcher's park this year with the fences moving in. But he moves to a park that, in recent seasons, was tied for fourth-highest right-handed home run park factor in Camden Yards. So, under-the-radar, really nice offensive boost that Michael Morse can see. He's battled a low bad bip this year. And so he could have a, a really nice next couple of weeks to, to finish off the season. Danny Valencia, a career ISO versus lefties of 186. You also didn't mention strictly in your article was Chris Carter. And Chris Carter is another guy who, who probably finds himself on free agency in a lot of leagues because he hits 210, 220, which kills a team. But he is upper 20. He has like 27 home runs. So he's another obvious power guy. If you really need home runs and RBIs, you can't do that much better than Chris Carter. He has the highest career strikeout rate among any uh, baseball player with more, more than 750 plate appearances since the free agency era began. Wow, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, but like we said earlier, it's, he's, he's, they, he still gets some swing and miss because when he makes contact, it goes far. Right, and the Astros are obviously hoping that Chris Carter does not rub off on Jonathan VR too much. <laughs> it's a pretty whiffy team right now. That it is. Well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.